So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mary Lou. By the way, we put this in our email that goes out each week. And if you're not on the email, please sign up over there on our sign-in sheet. We'd love for you to keep you up to date with things happening in the life of our church. But if you have interest in participating in the service, you know, during throughout the service, each of the different parts of the service, different people participate in those. That's by design because we begin. We believe that this is not a performance but a family affair that we do during this service. And so we'd love for, for all kinds of people to have a part in our worship together. So if you are interested in reading or praying or any of those things, please reach out to me or Mark and let us know and we'll love to get you involved in that rotation. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, we pause now before you and just quiet our souls. And Lord, I pray that as we have come this morning in a lot of different places, for some of us, our hearts feel really, really busy right now. For some of us, they feel distracted. For some of us, we... We come in just carrying a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, and for some of us, a lot of confusion, and even others, a lot of doubt. We're in all kinds of places this morning, Lord, but I'm so thankful that you know each one of us by name. You know exactly where we're at and what we're feeling, and I just pray that you would draw near by the power of your Spirit, and that you would open our hearts and open our ears that we would hear your word, that we would see Jesus with the eyes of faith in a fresh way, that we would encounter your love and your grace, and that that would leave us changed. Come and meet your people through the power of your word. In Christ's name we pray. So a question, kids, to get us started here. Um, so I'm assuming that many of us, many of you, have chores at home, different things you got to do to help out around the house. 
What is the worst chore you've ever had to do? Maybe the dirtiest chore you've ever had to do. Dishes, that's pretty bad. Bathrooms, that might even be worse. Zeke? Trash, okay. Those are all good examples. Anybody else? Yes, Braley. What is it? Your room, cleaning your room. Now, sometimes that can be really, really messy and dirty, right? We all know what it's like. Yes, Jonathan. Washing your dog, that's another bad one. Yeah, there's good examples here. Uh, you know, those, those chores that we have to do, regular parts of life when you're a kid, even when you're an adult, somebody's got to do it, and we don't like to get dirty. And as I was thinking about this, I was remembering when we started this renovation of this building here, there was a moment right at the very beginning, many of you were there this night, I think this was one of our first demolition nights as a work party, and you know, the big joke around our church was always the bathrooms, right? I mean, these bathrooms were legendary. They had mushrooms growing in there, various crops that are being studied by different universities. You would walk into the bathroom, and the floor would just kind of squish up and down. Did you ever experience that? You know, and you were walking on the floor, and you might not necessarily see water. Sometimes you did. But you knew something wasn't right. Floors are not supposed to be like a sponge. They're not supposed to go up and down. And I would always, whenever I'm in there, and you try to get out of that place as quick as you can, I would always have this feeling that there's something going on underneath the surface here that I don't want to know anything about. Well, that first night of demolition we discovered what was below the surface. I remember there was a crowd of us around, and we opened up that floor, and good Lord in heaven above. I've never seen anything like that. Jeff McBriar, who's done a lot of demolition in his life and has seen, I'm sure, a lot, a lot of messy things, he looked and he said, ain't never seen nothing like that. Around the floor, the base of the floor was cinder block all the way around. And so what that, what that meant is that when it filled up with liquid, it could not get out. So pipes had been leaking, uh, drain pipes had been leaking, probably for years, and all being held in there, and it was just this funk sludge I've never seen before in my life. And we all stood around, and we were just overwhelmed, and really... There was this part of me that just wanted to run and say, can we just demo the whole thing, you know, bring the, the bulldozer in. And I remember in that moment just thinking, it was like an image and a thought that came into my mind, and I think I even talked to Corey about this in the moment. I thought, that is a picture of our hearts. That is a picture of our hearts, not the part that we often you know, let other people see or that we wear around on the outside. But the reality is, and Scripture talks about this over and over and over, that the reality of our hearts, in the depths of our hearts, is a sludge of brokenness and shame and guilt and sin and suffering and all of these things. And that's the reality in our hearts so often. And God's work in our lives is to lift the floor, to lift the mask, the surface, 
and to begin to go into those places of brokenness and bring about cleansing. It was amazing after, I don't know how long it took us, maybe a couple hours, but by the time we left that night, that floor, all the sludge was gone. All the debris was gone. It wasn't necessarily clean yet. There's a lot of process that went into that. But we as a church had cleaned it out. It was a picture of what God does in our life. But not only of what God does, what he calls us to do in the lives of one another. That is what it means to be a body. That we become his instruments of lifting the floor of one another's lives, one another's hearts, and beginning to remove the debris and the sludge and the brokenness. But the challenge to being that kind of community is so often just like what it was for me. We don't want to lift that floor. We're afraid if we lift the floor, what am I going to see? If I lift the floor, what are other people going to think about what they find in my own heart? Or if I'm someone who's called to enter in, and to help with someone else's brokenness, it can feel scary and overwhelming. So, so often, we avoid that. So often, our interaction becomes surface, it becomes chit-chat, and an avoidance of what is real and what is broken in our hearts. We're called to love one another in that deep kind of way that brings about transformation, but so often, we want to run the other way. Here's what Jesus shows us in our passage, as we look here in John 13, that our love for one another, our relationships and love for one another must be shaped and empowered by the self-giving love of Jesus on the cross. That that must become the shape of our relationships, the cross, but it also is the power of To love one another in this deep and self-giving way. That's what we see in our passage. So let's jump into our story here. This is one of my favorite stories in the book of John. One of the most intimate pictures of Jesus and his relationship with his disciples. When we come here to chapter 13, John slows the action down. As we've been moving through the book of John, we've been just racing through his three years of ministry. But by the time you get to chapter 13, chapter 13 through 17, that is four chapters, are simply the last evening that Jesus spends with his disciples. John wants to slow the action down so that we get to see the intimacy of those moments. And as Jesus is stressing to them what he most wants them to remember and to live out, When the next day he goes to be with the Father. The next day Jesus will go to the cross. This has been called the upper room discourse. Where they they celebrate the Passover together in their last evening together. Now what I want to do as we look at this passage. Is just to try to put yourself in the story. That's how the Bible intends us to read the biblical stories. To put yourself in there. To imagine what would it be like to be there. What would it be like to be one of the disciples seated around that table. What would it be like for you when Jesus came to you. And it was your turn for him to wash your feet. So as we rehearse this story. Just imagine yourself to be in that moment. 
one note of background that helps us to understand the significance of this. In this day, they didn't wear tennis shoes, kind of a newsflash, tennis shoes or boots or fancy shoes when they were out and about doing life. And the streets that they walked on weren't paved, they didn't have nice sidewalks, they didn't ride around around in their car. They walked everywhere that they went, believe it or not. And the streets were dusty and muddy, and sometimes there were things in the street we don't even want to talk about. And so as you walked around, just in normal life, feet would become filthy. They wore sandals. So whenever they would come together for a meal, anytime it would be mealtime at night, there would be someone who was there to wash the feet of all the dinner guests so that you could tolerate the meal. The smell would have been pretty rough. But the person who would perform this duty was a slave. Usually the lowest on the, on the level of society of a slave and a servant would perform this low, humiliating job of washing the feet of the people in the room. But as we come to this scene, there's no servant in the room. There's no slave in the room to wash feet. And that's where we enter enter into the story. And we learn that as they're seated around the the table in verse 2, as the evening meal was being served, Jesus gets up from the table. He walks over to the corner of the room and takes off his outer garments. And he wraps a servant's towel around his waist. He pours water into a basin And begins walking up to each disciple and getting down on his knees before them and washing their feet. Using the towel wrapped around his waist to wash and dry their feet. As he's making his way around the room, Jesus is covered in filth. What would you have been feeling in that moment? As Jesus came to you and took your filthy feet in his hands, and began to wash them and get your dirt on himself. We get a picture of what we might have been feeling whenever he gets to Peter. Peter's the one who always says out loud what everybody's feeling. He just kind of blurts it out. And Jesus gets to Peter, and Peter objects. What, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus says, it's got to be like this. I have to wash your feet. No, you shall never wash my feet. For Peter, this is absurd. This is out of place. Why why do you think Peter is reacting in this way? You know, sometimes as we read these stories, we fail to get the experience of it, the shocking nature of it, because we're familiar with it. Or because we expect Jesus to do these kind of things. Well, yeah, yeah. Jesus is kind of into that thing of like washing feet and everything. That's kind of his job. He's kind of a servant kind of guy. And it doesn't shock us. But for Peter, you see, Peter knew that Jesus was the king. He knew that that he was the Christ, which from the Old Testament told him that he was going to reign over the whole world. You see, in in, in Peter's mind, Jesus was a person of such honor and glory that the fact of watching Jesus get down on his knees and wash his feet, he was appalled at how out of place that is. No, this is not right. 
You, you should not be humiliating yourself like this. You don't belong on your knees as a servant and as a slave. No, you are a king. Jesus, what are you doing? And he always has that kind of reaction to Jesus and the kind of things that he would do that he didn't understand. Now, it's easy to be hard on Peter and say, come on, don't you get it? But imagine, what would it be like for you if your hero tried to get down on their knees and wash your feet? How would that feel? Maybe a little awkward? You know, someone that you hold in high esteem, someone that you just think hung the moon, or someone maybe that even has enormous prestige, maybe because of their position, a person in a position of honor, if they were to come to you and take your socks off, and take your filthy feet in their hands and begin to wash their feet, what would be your reaction? John wants us to see the upside-down reality here. And so he drops hints at the beginning of the passage to remind us and to keep in mind of who Jesus is as he goes to do this. Look at what he says in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his clothes. You see, he's reminding to us Jesus is doing this Fully aware of who he is. He knows that he has come from the Father. That the Father has put all things under his feet. You know, all things in the Greek actually means like all things. Jesus is fully aware that he is the one not only who has created the universe, but rules the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is aware of the glory of who he is. Of the power and the position and the prestige and the honor of who he is. And yet fully aware of all of those things. Jesus takes the form of a slave. And begins to wash and to take the filth of his disciples upon himself. So the question here is, what does Jesus intend to teach through this? What's he to, what, what message is he trying to get across? What does he want them to learn? What does he want us to learn? Well, thankfully, he tells them. In verse 12, we read this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So what does this mean? Jesus says, I have done this as a picture for how you are to love one another. Now this is a dramatic picture of Jesus' love for his disciples, of his willingness to get down, to lower himself, to cleanse them. But Jesus says here, after he gets back to the table, listen, this is a picture for you. This is a, a pattern for how you are to love one another. This, what I've just done, is to set the pattern for your relationships with one another. This is a picture of the church. This is a picture of what our relationships are to look like. This is a picture of love. 
We see over and over and over in these next four chapters, he's, he, he keeps repeating with his disciples, love one another. Look at verse 34 as he jumps over. Again, same scene, same moments. In verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you Love one another. This is a picture of love. This is what love looks like. Not from the perspective of the world. From the perspective of the world, love is something that you feel, primarily emotion, is something that you feel towards something that gives you something. Something that you feel towards something that is lonely, uh, lovely, or admirable. Love in the perspective of the Bible is not about what you get at all, but rather something about what you give. What does this show us about love and about our relationships with one another in the church? Well, one, that they're to be marked with humility. You cannot love apart from humility. And humility is that willingness to forget about yourself. That willingness to give up your own pride. That willingness to give up your own preferences. The willingness to lower yourself beneath another person. That's where love begins. A willingness to enter into the places of shame with another person. That's really what the washing of feet is all about. I mean, filthy feet. I, I'm ashamed of my feet. I don't know how you feel about your feet. I don't like for my feet to be seen. Feet are not the most flattering body part that we have. And especially if they're filthy, I don't want anybody touching them. It, it, it feels shameful for someone to hold something that's dirty about ourselves. See, what he's showing us about the nature of love is that it involves a moving towards another person in the place of vulnerability. Vulnerability is that place where something about you is seen that you don't want to be seen. That's why what's so natural about our lives is to cover and hide those things and project and portray to other people the best parts of ourselves. We don't want to feel vulnerable. It feels very weak to feel vulnerable. It feels very risky to feel vulnerable. And yet Jesus is saying this is what love looks like. A willingness to enter in to someone else's heart, to enter into their life, to enter into those places that they don't want you to know about. See, it really involves two-way street here, right? You've got to be one who's willing to lower yourself and listen and enter in to someone's shame. It also, on the other side, requires someone who's willing to let somebody in. I don't know which one's harder. I don't know which one needs and requires more humility. And yet Jesus is showing us this is what love looks like. This is what the shape of our relationships are to be like, of intimacy. You know, to, to hold someone else's foot is a tremendous experience of intimacy. Have you ever had this happen or ever done this? In seminary, we actually did this. Our seminary professors washed our feet, and it was incredibly awkward. I didn't want them to do it. I, I did it because I had to. But it's very vulnerable. It's very uncomfortable. You see, part of what Jesus is showing us here is that our relationships in the church have got to move in this direction. Where we are willing 
to go to those places and open our hearts and, and even enter into another person's life where you are talking about and experiencing weakness, where you are intimate with each other, where you know what's real about one, one another. What, what's natural for us is to, to relate to each other from the place of strength, right? I, I only want you to see those parts of me that are most polished or that are most admirable or most capable or confident. That's what I want you to see about myself. So, so often our interactions are just surface. They're just marked by this, I'm okay, are you okay? Great, good, see you next week, right? We're so reluctant to take off the mask and not pretend to let another person know, here's what I'm walking through in my life. Here's what I'm struggling through in my life. But we talked a couple weeks ago about confession of sin. I think confession of sin is a tremendous picture of the washing of feet. What what he's calling us to. But it's scary. It's scary to love in that way. We're afraid I won't know what to do if I get that close to a person. Or we're afraid if we're willing to open what's true about our life that we'll be rejected or judged. So it's very risky to love in this way. I've been very compelled by the story of a Christian author named um, Henry Nouwen. I almost forgot his name here. So compelled by him. So Henry Nouwen, he was a very prolific Christian writer. He died in the late 90s. Uh, he was a Catholic priest. He was very famous writer. He was a, also a psychology professor at, at Harvard and Yale and Notre Dame. And he talks about this real pivotal moment in his life where really he's at the top of his career, the top of his field. He was in such high demand by all kinds of people to come and speak. And he said, I was here I was in this time in my life where it looked like everything had come together, and yet I felt empty. I felt like I'd really missed what I'd really been called to live for. He said, here I was speaking about humility in front of thousands of people, and all the while so wondering what they thought about me in those moments. He said, I always had these two voices in my life. One, this voice in my life that was saying, make it on your own. Be somebody. Uh, be someone that I can be proud of. Uh, be an independent person. Achieve in your field. And yet there was also this part of me that from the earliest stage, whenever he had come to know Jesus, was saying to him, whatever you do, even if you don't do anything interesting in the eyes of the world, make sure you stay close to the heart of Jesus. Make sure you stay close to the love of God. He said, those were always intention in my life, and yet I found myself having left one of those voices behind. He meets this guy called Jean Vanier. He was a Frenchman who had this community of handicapped people in France. And he meets Henry, and he says, why don't you come and live for us with us for a little while? I think you might find a home with us, and I think you might really discover God in a new way. So he did it. He left his prestigious positions at these institutions and his career, and he went and he lived at this community called La Arche for a year. Whenever he was there, he was paired with a young man, 24-year-old man named Adam, who was mentally and physically handicapped. Adam could not feed himself. 
He could not clothe himself. He could not bathe himself. He could not walk. He could not even talk. And yet each and every day, Henry lived with Adam and cared for him and met his needs. You know, remarkably, what he begins to describe about his experience there is he said, after about four weeks, I found something remarkable beginning to happen in my heart. I started thinking about Adam. I started feeling affection for him. And when we were together, I felt a connection between us. I began to feel intimacy. I began to feel love with this man. This man who literally could give him hardly nothing in return. And he said, it was through my relationship with Adam that I came to discover God's love in a deeper way. Because here's what God taught me through my relationship with Adam. Being is more important than doing. Just so often I'd related to other people based on what I could do of being useful, what I could bring. But here with Adam, none of that mattered. I couldn't fix him. All I could do was be present with him and love him. And he said, I began to discover what God's love for me is like. That he wants to be present with me and know me. And he goes on to say that it was Adam's helplessness and his weakness and his vulnerability that actually was creating community. I think that's a tremendous picture of washing of feet. A tremendous picture of how just loving and entering in with another person in the place of weakness and vulnerability creates love. Now that's a high calling. And it's scary. Is that a little bit scary to hear his story? He went on to spend the rest of his life in a large community caring for the mentally handicapped. That is scary. I mean, as we think about love in this way of being this costly, of being this self-sacrificing, and imagining what, what would it look like, where, where would we get the courage to move towards one another in that way? Where would we get the courage to begin to spend time with someone who's different from me in the church? Where, where do I get the power to, to set aside my deep commitment to my own schedule and my own time to begin to open up my life to other people who might not give anything to me. See, the question becomes, how do you do that? Well, here's the only way. The only way to love in this way is if you are regularly experiencing the love of Jesus for you. That is what empowers our faith. See, the cross is really at the background of this whole picture. Jesus washing his disciples' feet is a picture of the cross, a gigantic metaphor of the cross. Yeah, he hints at it in the passage. He says to Peter, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but later you're going to get it. What's he talking about? The next day, he will hang on a cross. And eventually, after his resurrection, it's going to hit the disciples. Oh, I didn't get it. I saw you on the cross, and I thought, I thought you were losing. What I now realize is that you were cleansing us. See, the cross is just a picture of the washing of feet. That, he, he goes on to say to Peter when he objects, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The cross is the ultimate washing. It's the ultimate humiliation of lowering himself so that someone else 
might experience love so that they might be lifted up. Where Jesus, in the most ultimate and dramatic way, gave up all of his rights, gave up all of his honor and all of his glory, and made himself obedient to death on a cross. He became a slave. And in washing us through the cross, he took all of our filth upon himself. Just in the same way as he is on his knees washing the feet of his disciples and getting dirt and filth and shame upon himself, that's exactly what he does on the cross. As he goes there, he washes us. And all of our filth and our shame goes on him. And we are made clean through what he's done. So often the cross is described in those terms as a washing. It speaks to the, the experience of shame. You know, guilt, we all know the experience of guilt. Guilt is the sense that I've done something wrong. But shame is deeper. Shame is the experience that there's something wrong with me, that I'm stained. And so often in Scripture, sin is described as a stain, as uncleanness, as this experience that I'm, I'm cut off and separated. I'm not accepted. That is the human experience. We all know what shame feels like. And yet on the cross, Jesus was cleansing our shame. That by the shedding of his blood, he actually washes all of our stains away. That we're made clean. As scripture says, whiter than snow. Knowing the full reality of everything you've ever done, of everything that's ever been done to you, Jesus on the cross was cleansing you. He was washing our feet. See, the power to love comes from experiencing the cross personally. Is it real to you? Is it something that not only you, you believe happened out there, but is it something that you experience daily in your life? Do you experience Jesus cleansing you? And just like he tells Peter, though we've been washed, we need continual cleansing. Are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing his love? Him coming to you at the place of vulnerability and shame and brokenness and washing you clean. Because when you experience the cross and his love in that way, you know what it does? It empowers you to love. It empowers you to move towards someone else in their vulnerability and in their brokenness. Bring cleansing. To trouble yourself with another person. To lower yourself for one another. The cross is to shape our relationships with each other. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that we, each of us, would become a people who are meditating daily on the cross, on the significance of what you have done for us and that we would experience your love, that it would come to capture our hearts. It would break in on us the significance of you willing to give up everything so that we would know the welcome of the Father. Would we know that cleansing? Would we experience it and would it move us in self-giving love, vulnerable love, 
towards one another. Do this in us as a community so that all people would know that we are your disciples. In Christ's name we pray.